Only came with long problems Shit got me like hell nah Ask me what I'm doing with my life and shit to tell y'all That they ain't selling these though We don't really need those Better burn some fall, smoke some powder off some clean fuck They gon' die for any of us If we go and they come with us Ain't no love to lose, who is you? We ain't fucking with you I can see the only way I learn to live will make me lose I can see the way I move with crazy aches and dirty juice I'ma pull this shit over right here Then I'll make them choose Keep them on the toes and they go And they better know I'ma hit him dead in his nose And he better show Man, it's only been a week since the last time we did this. Doesn't it feel like it's been way longer? <laughs> that's how that's how time moves in Donald Trump's America. It's also, um, I guess, as the great Conor Oberst once said, how time can move both fast and slow amazes me. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. The days seem to fly by, but uh, it was only a week ago we did this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Weird. It seems like it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it feels like I've done nothing in the time between then and, and now. But yeah, but like it was like a year. It feels like it was a year, but a year that I didn't do anything, <laughs> nothing at all. Just continue to watch Terrace House. Terrace House. Terrace House. I've been watching uh, a lot of scripted television. No scripts for me, except for Terrace House. Apparently, was. Uh, I've done more research into it. A part of the fallout of the suicide is investigation into the show. And there does seem to be some some pressure from the producers to perform certain things. Oh, geez. You mean like every other reality show in existence? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be as extreme still, but it is like, yeah, you know, it'd be boring otherwise. <laughs> but whatever. I'm still watching it. Um, I'm not learning Japanese by any means, but I am starting to turn Japanese. You really uh, think so? I think I'm starting to feel that's a masturbation song, Kyle. Familiarize myself with the language enough now that I can tell when people have uh, speech impediments or like when they have like a really limited vocabulary or if they mumble and stuff. <laughs> I, got, I got that going for me. Uh huh. What sort of scripted TV you've been watching? Uh, I started watching Deadwood, which will probably excite dad. Um, Yep, another certified dad classic. <laughs> a lot of cocksuckers just so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but, many uh, cocksuckers. Ian McShane, he plays um what's his character's name? Uh Al Swearingen. Yeah, Swearingen. The American pimp. The, the most American pimp that's ever lived, except for <laughs> Iceberg Slim. <laughs> uh, oh, who's more famous at this point? You think Al Swearingen? Probably. They haven't made a mm. uh, multi-season TV show plus TV movie about Iceberg Slim, have they? No, but he, I mean, like every like pimp figure you can think of is it's from, just doing Iceberg Slim. Yeah, from like the 60s onwards. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe not, right? I, I guess it would depend on who you talk to. If it would be Al Swearingen or Iceberg Slim. Like if you talk two, to two great figures in American pimp history, though. Yeah, if you talk to Snoop Dogg, probably still Iceberg Slim, right? <laughs> Good old Uncle Snoop. I um this week earlier this week I shaved my face for like the first time in years. Like I mean, like legitimately, like shaved. Like a real tie shave. You got it. You yeah. Got the straight razor out. I just used. Yeah, it was the first time, and for sure, like maybe even close to a decade that I haven't just used like 
a trimmer to give myself like a five o'clock shadow, you know? Yeah, I mean, fucking, this time I used a real sharp bowie knife, just a big, big sharp knife. <laughs> I still look like I'm about fifteen. Yeah, that's the one thing I've noticed. If I uh, if I shave, I look real young. Yeah, I don't like it. I was like, who who is that man or who is that child in the mirror? <laughs> Even though I'm starting to get like a little flux of gray on the side of my hair, it still looks like oh, that, that's that poor boy. He's going gray. Oh, yeah, he's starting gray early, like uh, Sal, our friend growing up. Sal, oh, he yeah, had gray. I always assumed he was spooked by some sort of ghost. Yeah, he's probably some sort of Spanish ghost from a, like a, a boat. <laughs> you always think he's Spanish. He was Italian. Oh, was he Italian? Yeah. Oh, Salvatore. Um, Daniel, no, the, dude, the dude that lived right next door was, uh, was Spanish, right? Daniel. I don't know why his name was Daniel, but that's what his name was. Well, you know, he was Mexican. Yo, I could have sworn he claimed to be Spanish Spanish. Yeah, but... I have a lot of friends that when I first got to know them, yeah, I know. Say, this is, I'm just going. I was a child back then. So <laughs> yeah, going, when I, when I first got to know them in the like public setting, they'd say, "Oh yeah, I'm Spanish or Italian," and then later on, they'd be like, "Psych, my family's from Mexico." And it's like, why'd you lie about it? <laughs> and like, I get why they would in I think certain places, yeah. But it's like, what? I mean, when, <laughs> why'd you lie to me about? It? <laughs> I think you know why. They don't know. You know, you you don't know if you're the good kind yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. You can never be too sure. They'll trick you. I mean, we watched the whole movie about tricky whites. <laughs> well, I guess they're Jewish. The Jewish people. You consider Jewish people white? I do. Ashkenazi Jews, right? I mean, I, white is such a stupid term anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> white is the de- American default or whatever, right? So at this point, it's like a world mm-hmm. default. Yeah, I guess Jewish people are definitely still an outgroup, though. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago that uh, several of them were uh, were rounded up. Well, the whole reason that our characters in this film are in the United States are because of widespread pogroms in Eastern and Central Europe. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Um, so there's like a specific Jewish immigration period that's separate from. You don't say There's a couple oh. separate Jewish. Yeah, but you wouldn't Jews. say, "Oh, is the this is a Polish immigration or Ukrainian yeah. immigration?" No, it's specifically Jewish for a specific reason. I remember Fievel. Yeah, an American tale. <laughs> There's no cats in America. There is a. <laughs> in fact, America kind of invented the cats. <laughs> well, I guess no, America they, didn't. No, we didn't invent the cat. They just came here, and um, we were like, we put fancy bow ties on them. As we didn't invent anti-Semitism, but we did come up with uh, eugenics that were later used for. We uh, put we created the science behind race, science air quotes. <laughs> we all figured we figured out once we started looking at people's skulls, right. <laughs> Oh, this this boy's clearly gonna grow up to be a criminal. Look, look at how <laughs> look at how big his face is. He's a criminal. <laughs> God damn. He's got a criminal school if I've ever seen one. Really goddamn big head criminals. And that's uh they even continues onwards into the, today to the design of supervillains. They always give him bigger heads. If you got a big head, you're a villain. Well, Dr. Wanna... <laughs> Doom don't got a big head. It's humongous <laughs> under that metal. <laughs> Humongous. He's just got it all crushed together under his metal fist. That's why he has that metal metal helmet to keep his giant head in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the leader, Modok. um, (laughs) (laughs) Modok again. Modok as he appears in. Has he been in a movie yet? I thought he was. No, no, not yet. That would be great when they put Modok in a movie. 
I am Modoc. There's no one cooler than Modoc except for um Mojo. Mojo's not cool. Mojo's so lame. He's got so coolest TV show in the galaxy. <laughs> He's got the only TV show in his galaxy. <laughs> it's Mojo Vision. Dun, 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 you know what I've dun. been reading again? Um, the Exiles, which I, I, oh, I really with, love. Uh, Blink and stuff and Mimic. Yeah, but every time I read it, I have to remember, like, hey, this is the guy that I used to watch when I was 10, when the real world. Oh, yeah, he that is the guy that ended up making it or uh, writing uh-huh. it. I forgot about that. I never really thought about that before. Usually when I read it, I have to, like, get used to the art style because I don't like the late 90s. Um, uh, it's just a fun comic, though. Yeah. I don't know. Like, if, I, if you gave me any opportunity to read any, write any comic, I think I'd write an Exiles comic. I'd rather write the main mainline X-Men comic and make it just like Nah, freaking... it's gotten so ridiculous now. They're fighting Draculas and shit. Oh yeah, that's what I want to do with it. I want to nah, like... I like the one they were fighting. I don't mind the Dra- I don't know. The Dracula thing was a little too much for me. It's just X-Men's gotten very strange. You know what I mean? Why I think X-Men should be as weird as possible. That's why I want to write for it. <laughs> I, want to turn no, into I don't like mean a like strange fucking horror way. comic. Yeah, I don't know how to explain what I'm the what I think about the X-Men comic currently. I'd create my own team. Oh, actually X-Men I haven't read, I should be to be fair, I haven't read uh I haven't read an X-Men or recent X-Men comic in like two or three years since like the Dracula stuff. So yeah. my run might be amazing. Who knows? No, I would create my own team of X-Men um and I'd make it They'd so all be like, maggots. Well, like their mutant powers would be like more um not so perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like I always thought, uh, Kyle Grant Morrison already did that. Well, I always thought like Chamber from Generation X was cool. You know, like how his whole oh, like mouth thing, yeah. his mouth and his chest were like all burnt up from his power. You know what I mean? Like, shit, like well, they kind of do cool. that with Rogue a little bit, right? That's the one X Men you can always kind of point to. It's like eh, her powers aren't that great. Yeah, that's true. She can't ever hug. She can't ever kiss. Can't ever do it with Gambit, except for the times that she does do it with Magneto. <laughs> Yosef Magneto. Magneto. Oh, um, speaking of Jewish superheroes, we watched Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> <laughs> You'll carry that stink of the streets with you the rest of your life. I like the stink of the streets. It makes me feel good. I like the smell it. It opens up my lungs. Arnon Milshan presents a Sergio Leone film starring Robert De Niro, Once Upon a Time in America. The story of friends. As boys, they made a pact to share their fortunes. Agreed. Their loves and their lives. You'll put up and you'll shut up. You hear nothing and you see nothing. Just like you did for Bugsy. You was better off you stayed in the Bronx. As men, they shared a dream. I swear to God, Noodles, you and me together, we can make it come true. To rise together from poverty to power. There they are, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. A dream they followed through two decades that changed the nation. You ever think of setting yourselves up in business? Oh my God! They forged an empire built on greed, violence, and betrayal. Today they ask us to get rid of Joe. Tomorrow they ask me to get rid of you. Is that okay with you? Because it's not okay with me. Open it! You want to go swimming? It began as a dream. It grew to an empire. 
it ended as a mystery that refused to die. Robert De Niro, James Woods, Elizabeth McGovern, Joe Pesci, Burt Young, Tuesday Weld, and Treat Williams in a Sergio Leone film, Once Upon a Time in America. Would you consider uh, Magneto a, a supervillain? Um, I he's my favorite character in the X Men, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Bias. <laughs> I agree with him. I I should take a bunch of drugs and throw a Golden Great Bridge at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking more just like you know what we are the uh, next evolutionary step in humanity, and you guys need to get out of the way. You need to fucking move it. <laughs> I won't be subjugated by the likes of you. I'm fucking Magneto. It makes sense. Ah, rubber bullets. <laughs> rubber bullets can't kill. Or they can, but <laughs> not a buff guy like Magneto. He'll flex them away. Uh, uh, uh. It's always been really strange that a, a 60-year-old Holocaust survivor uh, is so buff. It's part of being a mutant. You know, I don't ever see any of the mutants working out. So, well, maybe they show Colossus working out sometimes. Which makes no sense because his mutant power is just being super strong anyway. Yeah, but the other, the other ones seem to just be naturally buff from mutation. Poor well, Bob. <laughs> you watch, you look at background characters in comic books and stuff too, and they're like all drawn the same way though. It's just a world of like really um, vascular people. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Really low body fat. Well, I mean, it's just a very hyper version of uh, of TV, even really. Yeah, TV of TV. CW, especially the CW. They got Can they act? I don't care. Are they beautiful? They got Riverdale. Is that still on? It's on Netflix. <laughs> Answers <laughs> my question. Not really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Don't know enough about the CW or Riverdale. All I know is um I know they did Crisis on Infinite Earth. Someone at work was telling me about Riverdale and like, yeah, there's like a murder mystery going on. I'm like, they serve solve like murders and shit in Riverdale. <laughs> I was like, don't they just hang out at, like the hamburger shop? <laughs> <laughs> Do they get confused with Scooby Doo? Is Shaggy fuck? there? Yeah, but then I saw one episode and I was like, Oh, it's like they copied oh. Twin Peaks. I see. Yeah, yeah, there's a reboot for you for uh, like a, a gritty teen reboot. Uh, is Scooby Doo live Scooby action? Scooby Doo teen heartthrob solving murder mysteries in their town. Yeah, and they're all they're a polycule. Oh, I, they're poly. Hell yeah, they are. Uh huh. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Except Shaggy. No, he's in it too. Not involved. Ah, uh, he's kissing on Fred. <laughs> Scooby's not involved though. That'd be a little bit too far. But yeah, oh, poor, poor Scoop. Though sometimes he eats the girl's panties though, because dogs do stuff like that. Put that <laughs> in there. Dogs are <laughs> yeah, dogs are weird. So there's several movies that begin Once Upon a Time. The first one to do it was Once Upon a Time in the West. Which was <laughs> yeah, I don't by... think that's the first one, but all right. <laughs> oh, well, which one precedes it? You think? I don't fucking know, but I'm sure I can find one. Doesn't Cinderella start that way? No, I mean the actual title of a movie. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So the first one is Once Upon a Time in the West, and then um, from uh, then there's Once Upon a Time in America, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Robert Rodriguez did that, uh, and then Quentin Tarantino did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Um, obviously, Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are homages to Sergio Leone, who directed this film that we watched from 1984 called Once Upon a Time in America. Former Prohibition-era Jewish gangster returns to the Lower East Side of Manhattan over 30 years later, where he once again must confront the ghosts and regrets of his old life. So there's a lot of um, three different eras depicted in the film, and they kind of bounce back in between which ones they are. Um, which version did you watch? Uh, I watched, I guess, would be the European theatrical cut, the one that's like three hours and 40 minutes, right? I know there's yeah. an extended cut, but I don't... Does that actually... So I, Reese? I actually went ahead and pulled the trigger and watched the extended cut. Oh, because, my God. I'm curious what else is in there. Um, it, nothing... How many a, more sexual assaults does he fit in? Two? None. Oh, my God. None. <laughs> Uh, so the extended cut clocks in at four hours and 11 minutes. And I was like, well, I've seen the um, original version enough times. Like, I'll do it. Uh, problem with the extended cut. It's not a problem. I, it didn't bother me too much. But um, the scenes that were reinserted were never finished scenes. So they're, were used, they're like remasters work of work prints and leftover negatives and stuff. So the uh, added scenes um, look and sound quite a bit different than the other scenes, especially because it's like 1080p Blu-ray remaster film with these scenes inserted into it. They did a good job remastering them, but anytime there's an extra scene, it's very obvious it's an extra scene. And um, most of them don't add anything to the movie. There is one scene um, that takes place shortly before the um, harrowing rape scene where he's talking to the driver, which I thought was um, pretty good. And it also adds um, more uh, criticism to the following rape scene because he's talking to the driver. And the driver's a recent immigrant to the United States, and he's talking about leaving uh, Ukraine because of the pogrom. And um, <clears throat> noodles are uh, protagonists, not our hero. You yeah, yeah. Don't, don't mix up the two. <laughs> no, not a hero, just a protagonist. Um, it's like, oh, I'm Jewish too, and he's like, yeah, I know. Everyone knows. And then he, uh, he's he picks up on like, basically what it is is uh, the Jewish community looks down on noodles and Max and stuff. You know what I mean? Because the way the guy phrases it is, he said, uh, we have enough enemies outside the community we don't need any in the community well you just get to see how their lifestyle and how they live is not that actually is an important i think that one should be in the movie movie. yeah i think it adds a lot to the following scene after that because he basically uh, noodles is like i i get it you you think i'm lower than low i'm scum and the guy doesn't say anything and then noodles goes on right (laughs) yeah noodles goes on to prove he's lower than low you know I think it added quite a bit to that scene. I think that one should have been left in. But I'm sure they're like, ah, people get the picture anyways. But I thought that was, that's what I think is an interesting aspect aspects of the movie and also like the um, history of criminality with Jewish immigrants, how it is very, very separate from uh, the mainstream Jewish American culture, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're not Jewish, so I don't know for sure. But based off like what I know about historically, what I've read about anecdotal evidence, stories I've heard from friends and their family and stuff. It's like, 
even if you're like a poor Jewish family and come immigrants to the United States, like it's even depicted in this film with um Deborah and Fatmo. Obviously, Fatmo is like kind of involved he's, with he's the criminality. He's getting a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but the, their family is very upstanding, right? She does ballet. She's an actor. You know what I mean? There's like you go piano lessons, and you know, even if you're not super wealthy, it's still there's like a respectability you got to have for your family, right? And then these kids, unfortunately, are from um, seemingly homes. yeah more troubled families. So they're just kind of out on the streets and they're raised by the streets and they grow up to be pretty shitty people, which is tales all the time in the old United States. And it's uh, technically based on a true story. So do you want to learn more about a novel called The Hoods by Harry Gray? Well, did someone become secretary of something after he, he faked his own death? Well, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- there's a novel called The Hoods um, written by a, su- a man not named Harry Gray, but it's a pseudonym he used about uh, David Noodles, Aaron Sain, Maximilian Max Berkowitz as they lead a group of Jewish ghetto youths who rise to prominence as Jewish gangsters in New York City's world of organized crime. And then, obviously, the floor of the movie is an, uh, an adaptation of that. Uh, the guy who wrote it, um, his real name is Herschel Goldman, who uh, it's basically autobiographical, like he is noodles. Uh, he, um, uh, he obviously used a fake name because um, he didn't want to get in trouble for anything that he might still be on the line for, right? And then uh, he also used like fake names like Bugsy in the movie. It's supposed to be Bugsy Siegel, you know? But he didn't outright say his Bugsy Siegel. There's also parts with um, a guy he named uh, Al Capuno, which is <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, he's uh, he's doing his best. To, I'm, I, names have been changed to protect the innocent, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't name him Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. So, um. The thing is, um, Sergio Leone spent a lot of time with uh, Herschel Goldberg after he read the book and got in contact So is with it a, is it a really, is it Al Capone? Is that all right? <laughs> well, Sergio Leone couldn't really speak English, so <laughs> I'm sure they had to use interpreters and stuff. But uh, the, the, the book itself is, no one really knows how much of it is yeah, it's like true every, or exaggerated. Know, like- gangster true story novel that comes out you know what i mean or or i guess shouldn't say novel but quasi novel right well yeah that's like even henry hill the uh goodfellas like we don't know mm-hmm. like a lot of that shit could be made up or glamorized and stuff yeah 100%, some of it has to be right i mean everybody does that well yeah because even if you don't remember that's true in uh in in straight up biographies too oh yeah plus like you fucking I, I do it in real life if you, you want to tell a good story, right? And maybe the, the pacing of the real events didn't work out to be a good story, but you want it to be a good story, you just mix it up a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all about That's storytelling. No, it's about storytelling. I don't lie about like important shit, but like if I'm telling a story and I need to spice it up or like get the pacing right, fucking that's 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 stand-up comedy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the only thing we know for sure is that Herschel Goldberg was from born in Kiev, Ukraine, immigrated to the United States fairly early in the 1900s. Barely. Came from a uh, broken Jewish home, was raised by the streets, 
Um, his friend Max is a real person too. They were involved in some prohibition gangster stuff. Eventually, Herschel Goldberg turned informant and uh, went and lived the rest of his life happily and wrote some books. He, uh, I guess he wrote The Hoods when he was still... Supposedly, he wrote it when he was in prison in Sing Sing, so it would have been he when he was still an active criminal before he turned an informant. Or he could have been an informant at the same time, you know, like fucking what, Whitey Bulger was an informant like most of his life, and they just, <laughs> they just let him run around doing crime as long as he tattled on people. FBI fucking sucks. <laughs> CIA. It's all garbage. Yeah, uh, that's not too important because the movie just fucking slaps ass, but I think it is interesting that it essentially is based on a true story. Obviously, it's made very operatic, but uh, this is real shit. This is real America. This is the You're looking at the rotten core, the filthy United States, what it does to people, what it's always done. You're experiencing it now for the first time, white America. Well, wait, um, no, they're not. <laughs> Sure they are, man. Everyone's uh, fucking on opiates and uh, just fucking. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, that was that was uh, white America like a hundred years ago too. Yeah, that's true. But I guess things have always been bad in Appalachia. <laughs> uh, maybe they want to fight another whiskey rebellion. I would. I saw a good tweet that was like, um, "All these white people dying from opiates, and they're still not any good at jazz." <laughs> <laughs> That's because uh, a lot of jazz musicians are smoking that tea. Well, they're doing heroin. Um, oh, yeah, Sergio Leone. Uh, this is his final film. He died five years later. It's also the first film he directed in 13 years. So he went out with a bang because I think this is one of his best movies. In fact, watched, uh, once, a time, once Upon a Time in the West, and I think. And, technically, uh, um, so technically, once upon a time in the West, Ducky Sucker and this movie are a spiritual trilogy. Yeah, Just, I was gonna watch say Ducky Sucker. I was gonna watch Ducky Sucker. Yeah, because they're the ones that are about um, um, how America became America. That's how he saw it in his mind, anyways. He's only directed eight films. All of them are great, classic. They'll fuck you up, slap your ass off. Um, you know what it is. He basically invented spaghetti westerns, which means he's basically responsible. I am a for spaghetti him. western. And he's basically responsible for the renaissance of westerns that took place later on. Um, he's in small responsible for Clint Eastwood's entire career. Yeah, piece Clint of shit. Yeah, uh, that also that he had a pretty big effect on uh, Japanese samurai films, but then vice versa. Obviously, he was inspired by Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. But that's where the crossover between samurai and western is great because it just they feed each other back and forth. It's like a cool feedback loop. And you just get the badass movies. I think I like Once Upon a Time in America better than all of his movies, except for The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. Hmm. I have not seen Good and the Bad and the Ugly in a long time. I would say probably. I kind of remember Good and the Bad and the Ugly. Um, the pacing is a little weird, if I remember right. All of his movies are long. Yeah. And but... <laughs> he's personally quoted as saying, I make silent films and they're just padded out with dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually why there's I a like lot him. of establishing shots in here, and like even not even necessarily establishing shots too, just like straight up like, hey, there's some music, and you can't hear what these people are saying. Oh no, there's just a lot of visual storytelling. These are mm-hmm. actually my favorite kinds of movies. Um, I find them the most engaging. Where uh, there's a, most of this movie that doesn't need any dialogue. You know exactly what's going on by what's taking place on the screen. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid to make movies like that anymore. And they have been for a long time, but uh, films, visual medium. I think you like you should really challenge yourself to try to tell a visual story. 
Um, and it, that's especially nowadays. I think that's what people butt up against against most of his films. Is uh, and there's I mean only dialogue you when you to need it. <laughs> yeah, but for for me, it's so engrossing. Like four and four hours and eleven minutes watching this movie, and like I was more engrossed in this film than. I have been by most of the movies we've watched that are like an hour and 20 minutes that seem to be seem to drag Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Well, Blade Runner is the same sort of thing, right? Yeah, I was going to bring that up, actually. Here, check out these all these cool visuals and there's no talking in the story. You're just watching the story happen and you're like, whoa. Um, Yeah, so for some reason, that's the style movie I really like. I understand most people aren't used to it because it's not... um, common really but man freaking i'd rather watch four and a half hours of this than 20 minutes of fucking breaking bad <laughs> <laughs> don't <shit> break that <laughs> why it's all a bunch of character scenes that don't matter to the overall plot <laughs> i don't care how good the actors are i want the story needs to make sense and be cohesive and tight and make me feel something in your testicles. <laughs> the story's not going to make me feel something if we don't go back to the main story for four seasons. <laughs> Just diverge off to some other bullshit fucking TV. That's the only downside of... Um, so I'm kind of excited that uh, the movie industry's going to die because that means it won't just be... It's like, fucking die, Marvel, die, die, die. Your Marvel's not going to die. You're just, just going to migrate to Disney+. Plus. They're like... You know, WandaVision comes out in January and that fucking Captain America Falcon shit comes out. That was just what I was going to bring up is unfortunately the uh, byproduct of the film industry dying means everything's just going to be bad TV. Like, oh, I got the opportunity for like uh, for more movies like this and the Irishman and some, you know, epics or even longer form miniseries. You know what I mean? But it's going to take some time before that those actually start to appear. Yeah, there's like it's not gonna be fun for a year or two. You know, it's just. I think it's gonna be. be, I think it's gonna be a decade before. um, No, I think it'll be quicker than that. No, I before there's actually like good movies and miniseries made. The people will be attempting them within a year or two. I just don't think they'll be good because they're gonna be relying too much on the TV formula. I think I think we'll get it. I don't know. I just gonna have to rely on independent productions most likely or small productions, as you often do. It's kind uh, of been the case for uh, ever. Most of my lifetime, all of my lifetime, I think. Yeah, because I wasn't alive in the, the from like the late sixties to the early eighties, where the studio systems were so weak and people could kind of just make whatever they wanted. What a time to be alive! Once upon a time in America, you can make uh, an entire sword and sorcery movie about rape. Hell yeah! <laughs> Speaking of sword and sorcery. It's kind of what we're watching next week, but not as rapey. Not as rapey. <laughs> so um, Sergio Leone was... Uh, it took him a long time to get this movie made. All the way back in 1968, after shooting Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, is when he uh, read the book, The Hoods, and started trying to get in contact with Herschel Goldman. Finally, he got a response because Goldman found out that Sergio Leone was the guy that directed the... Uh, Dollars trilogy, and he was like, "Oh, I like them shits. I'll talk to him." <laughs> <laughs> so they did. That's a real tough son of a bitch. That guy there got no name. He got no name. I wish I had no name. They never would have catch me. <laughs> they never would have caught me. 
Yeah, so they did eventually meet up in a Manhattan bar. Like I said, um, Sergio Leone didn't learn to speak English until he started directing this movie. Hey, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they had to have several meetings throughout the 60s and 70s. Um, Sergio Leone did this specifically because he wanted to understand America through the eyes of Herschel Goldman. And yeah, uh, you're, you're paying for lunch. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he did. This Sergio Leone you're talking about. He's a rich man. <laughs> He's a bit a of a Italian, Italian's <laughs> favorite son. Bit of a, like a little a, a dictator, lecherous, crazy person, but he makes some good movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, during this period, Leone actually turned down the offer to direct The Godfather so that he could continue to work on Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, wow. Man. Yeah. Mistake? No, I, financially a mistake, but I think Once Upon a Time in America, a better movie than Godfather. Uh, yeah. What about Godfather 2? That's a little bit actually, more really... contentious, I think. Because they I don't follow, like the Godfather um, in Godfather 2 that much, but yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, Godfather 2 follows a, a similar formula as mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in America, so I think it makes them more comparable. Uh, whereas the first Godfather is uh, c- comparable to, like, I don't know, Mean Streets, like Scorsese's early mafia movie, you know? I like the first Godfather. I Sometimes I like it more than the second one just because it is just a... It works as its own film, you know? But uh, it's not anywhere close to Once Upon a Time in America. Once Upon a Time in America is one of the most like, satisfying gangster epics that's ever existed. It's uh, everything the Irishman wanted it to be. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it really is. Like I was watching it and I was like, hmm, yeah, the Irishman. Hmm. It wasn't quite as good as this, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the very um human devastation sort of ending of the irishman though where it's like yeah everything was pointless yeah i'm just an old man who can't walk and my prostate doesn't work and fucking it was all bullshit what was it even for which I, that's kind of the ending of the of once upon a time in america too but it's also like there's um sort of reconciliation i guess yeah it's kind of more reconciliation with himself right and then you also have the uh the up in the air um um kind of resolution for max where it's like did he throw himself in the garbage can or not i was thinking uh so if he did throw himself in the garbage truck it was only a short amount of time before between yeah there's that, no there would have been blood and guts everywhere yeah there would have been like extreme gore in the back of the garbage truck when it drove by noodles <laughs> yeah so my i don't think he threw himself in the garbage truck he faked his death again god damn it <laughs> <laughs> honestly what a piece also. of shit yeah, he's really just like his entire his entire life. He was just using noodles, you know. His Which entire is, life, he just used everybody. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the you think the uh, the movie frames is oh, what a great friendship these two people have, right? What a brotherhood. But then it, it's like, nah, they're both. <laughs> Hopefully, just... I don't find out when I'm on my deathbed that you're using me my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty weird. Uh, but yeah, that's like kind of the end, of the reconciliation at the end of the movie, right? He's like, "Oh man, we're both pieces of shit, huh?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I, I do yeah. like that Noodles refused to call him by Max at that point. So, ah, hey, you're Mister Bailey, not your asshole. <laughs> yeah. And so you get you change your change your life, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. And, so I, and he killed their other friends <laughs> and didn't yeah. give a fuck. 
Like so, there's a scene before he didn't give a shit about noodles, right? He just wanted he just wanted to manipulate noodles into killing him. So so here's the thing: is before back in the 30s when um they get killed, he makes sure noodles isn't there that night, right? Right. He knocks him out. So he wanted to protect noodles, but not Cockeye or Patsy. Even though, think about this: noodles goes to prison for like five. Or like ten years, right, for killing Bugsy, mm-hmm. and um, the, he had only known Max for like a year, maybe, right, two years at that point. Yeah, but he, as a little kid, that's a long time. Sure, you know, he's only he's what fifteen, sixteen at that point. Maybe. Come, yeah, he comes out. That's that's twenty percent of his life. Yeah, but those that like ten year period where Max was running around with Patsy and um, Cockeye, yeah, you think he would have formed sort of they, their bond would have been so much fucking closer than like Noodles getting out of prison ten years later, you know? But I guess Max is just crazy because <laughs> what it is is it's Noodles had an attachment to Max and Max apparently didn't have an attachment to anyone. Yeah, that's that's my that's what it is. And my guess is, like you said, yeah, it was a big deal for Noodles as a kid. Those like year or two. And then he got to sit in prison and only think about that and Deborah and blah blah blah. So these things became extreme pillars in his like mind, right? And he gets out of prison, and that's all he's thought about for ten years. Whereas like Max is like, oh, I can use this to my advantage, but I don't really give a fuck, man. <laughs> Thanks for killing Bugsy or whatever. We're rich now. Rich biatch. It was cool of them to like still stick with the um. Everyone gets a fair share, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, it doesn't work out in the end, but well, yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel like of... Max the entire time is Max's plan is to steal it in the end. He well, wants yeah, to be the last one standing. Yeah. Well, so we... it's not like an, a generous offer. I mean, if it's not like you and me going into retirement fund, like half of everything we put, we own from now on is going to go toward our retirement for the day that, you know, people don't give a shit about what we say on this podcast anymore. Mm. Like they did at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes full circle. <laughs> and then I we, I go to open the suitcase and it's just an IOU from you. <laughs> <laughs> That'll just be a bunch of newspapers. <laughs> but um, do you think he, his intention, even from like being a Yeah, I think even at that point, he, he a teenager, his plan was, I don't think he knew it was going to go that far, but I think... It, he at no point he formed attachment to any of these kids or anybody else. Yeah, he's kind of like a little bit of a sociopath. Um, yeah, noodles is not much better. No. <laughs> um, no, no. Well, uh, so I don't. It's hard to judge that kid though, because you know he goes to prison so early. Well, that's the thing is, um, I was gonna say uh, Max seems to be like uh, there's a pathology to the things he does, right? Whereas, um. Noodles just was failed by society. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the rape thing is kind of inexcusable, though. Yeah, no, that's like... Oof. And part of me is like, I get why it's in the movie, but I don't know if Sergio Leone put it in the movie for the right reasons. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know if I trust his motivations for certain things, because Sergio Leone is kind of like... A fucking weird, creepy Creep. Italian guy, you know? Well, he's an Italian movie director, Kyle. Yeah. That's basically all you need to know. Well, the, my thing is, not that he put the... Because there's multiple writers on the film, and he, he barely sure. did any of the writing. So I don't think he specifically put the rape scene in there because, oh, yeah, it's going to be a titillating rape scene, right? But there's something about... Poor use of titillating, by the way. 
Well, no, because I think that's what he's. That my implications. I don't think he was. My problem with it is that he seems he, the the morals that Sergio Leone has seem to be that he would allow forgiveness for noodles for that event as the movie yeah plays i mean out. that's absolutely at the end of the movie she's clearly that's clearly what's happened right? yeah she's forgiven like, him to a certain extent yeah but it's like oh i don't know but then again um it's not that's not completely unrealistic either you know and i don't want to be this one of those people that moralizes against the story that's told in the movie especially because it's based off a book and that's the story that's told in the book and could that could have been someone's life right but there's just some um, i guess i just don't necessarily i'm not comfortable with the lecherousness that sergio leone has been accused of i guess but then i did separate the art from the artists right he made some kick-ass cowboy movies <laughs> and that's what we should focus on yeah and i mean it's um this is a really good movie and it shows to me this movie the reason why he was so concerned with getting uh, Herschel Goldman's view of what America is was to make this movie. And I think this movie, I see this movie as not a condemnation of America, but um, like, well, I mean, you, you can't really condemn America. It's not because it's not a uniquely American story. You can look at a lot of countries and see how, you know, the poor and the underclasses failed. You know what I mean? It's kind of a human story. It's, it's just that the there's the uniqueness is in certain ways it's just the way it happens in certain countries i guess yeah i just think it pulls into stark relief um the, the, the frank you know there's like a promise in america that has never quite been kept yeah that's the difference. yeah which is um always is, has been very interesting to explore in film and then also by nature of it being taking place in three different time periods over well, fucking 40, 50 years, you get to see the, the development of America in tandem with crime and corruption. And you know what I mean? It's just like, here you go. Once upon a time in America, this is some American shit happened, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Leone originally envisioned two three-hour films, then a single four-and-a-half-hour version, but was convinced by distributors to shorten it to three hours and 49 minutes, which is the one you watch, the European one. Um, the American distributors, the Lad Company, shortened it to 139 minutes and rearranged the scenes into chronological order without Leone's involvement. Gross. Yeah, so this American version, critical and commercial flop. Uh, critics who had seen both versions harshly condemned the changes that were made. But and, um, I remember watching this on like TNT or TBS as a kid. So I want I had I definitely saw the version, the European version though. Yeah, it, was not, it wasn't chronological. Yeah, so by the time um it made it to TV, VHS, that sort of thing, it, it was always the European cut. Like the the American cut, I think it probably exists on VHS or something like that. But that was about it. That was about the only the, the traction it had. As soon as people realized that there was uh, actually a critically acclaimed cut, they're like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." Obviously, the TV version is edited for time and uh, language and nudity or whatever. But otherwise, it's still European cut. Yeah, so the, the European cut has remained a critical favorite and frequently appears in the list of the greatest gangster films of all time. We just mentioned that it's better than Godfather. 
Um, if you had to rank gangster movies, Godfather, um, Casino, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, where would you? What would your ranking be? So Goodfellas is my favorite. Then I don't. So it's technically. Would you consider Assassination of Jesse James a gangster movie, even though it's a western, but it's about a gang? Nah, I mean, I feel like you gotta put you on specifically. You gotta be gangster. You gotta keep in that that like prohibition era, prohibition to like the the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, all right, or even eighties, to be fair. But you know, yeah, Goodfellas, American twentieth century gangsters. Yeah, Goodfellas, uh, Once Upon a Time in America. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I wasn't I don't, this either. So yeah, I don't, even, I don't even know if Godfather Part 2 would be that far up there. I know Goodfellas is number one, and Once Upon a Time in America, I think, would be number two because I can't think of any other ones that I like more. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Uh, by the end of filming, though, Leone had eight to ten hours worth of footage, so <laughs> he could have made a TV miniseries. That, that was Quentin Tarantino when, eat your heart out. Yeah, that was when he pitched um doing like two uh three hour movies and they're like no what if we turn it into a trilogy? Have you seen a Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, yeah. Uh so unfortunately so, that would have been great, but there's not that that move there's no way that move that trilogy makes money. Oh no, not at all. I mean, maybe a little bit of money in the eighties, little eighties quiche, but like not, not Star Wars money, not trilogy money. Uh, Sergio Leone is quoted as saying, "Once upon a time in America is my best film, bar none." I swear, and I knew that it would be from the moment I got Harry Gray's book in my hands. I'm glad I made it, even though during the filming I was uh, as tense as Dick Tracy's jaw. It always goes like that. Shooting a film is awful, but to have made a movie is delicious. <clears throat> uh, yeah, Sergio Leone is actually known for being like super self-conscious and anxious about all the movies he makes, so it's uh, shocking for him to be proud of Once Upon a Time in America. Um, hmm, I have to look. I don't think it's his most re- well-reviewed movie. I gotta imagine it's probably Once Upon a Time in the West or or Good and the Bad and the Ugly. So the American release of this film uh, terribly oh, no reviewed. Shit. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, based on the European cut, um, I don't know if it's more well reviewed than any of his other movies, but it's definitely up there. Like when it was released yeah. at the Cannes Film it's Festival in Venice and stuff, everyone was like, "Fucking brilliant!" Uh, there's like Bravo. a billion, yeah, a billion people wrote this movie. We got Leonardo Benvenuti, Piero de Bernardi, Enrico Medioli. Franco Ariely, Franco Farini, Sergio Leone, uh, Ernesto Gasaldi, and um, holy shit, Stuart Kaminsky, the single Jewish person. <laughs> it just sounds like a bunch of guys that really understand America. Hell yeah, man! They've been making spaghetti westerns. They know what it's all about. It's violent men solving problems with violence, <laughs> which kind of is the American way. I love it. Fucking love it. Uh, Stuart Kaminsky was brought in as he was Jewish. And had written many 1940s mystery tales, and so he could realistically tie the film to the Jewish culture and still maintain the mysteries surrounding David Noodles Aronson's life. Uh, Kaminsky was also an, ad- an admirer of Sergio Leone and his work. Who, Who is it? Yeah, probably everyone was at that point. 
script was originally written in Italian by Leonardo Benvenuti in 1981. Uh, writing partners Piero De Bernardi and Enrico Medioli and Stuart Kaminsky were brought in to appropriately translate it into English. Hey, uh, guys, I don't understand fucking Italian. <laughs> yeah. According to Kaminsky, Benvenuti was primarily responsible for devising the visual scenes. Medioli maintained the epic nature of the film, and Kaminsky wrote all of the dialogue. And then Kaminsky also collaborated with Robert De Niro to ensure the characterization of Between Max and Noodles was both similar and distinct. Speaking yeah, that of. That sounds um, like Robert De Niro, right? Yeah, Robert De Niro seems like a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, the, 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 the the fucking visual scenes and the epic nature of the film, cinematography done by Tonino Delicoli. Uh, fucking, this is the heart of the movie. This is the only time, this is the only movie I have ever watched and thought New York looked cool. Ridiculous. <laughs> There's got to be a couple of movies. I'm sure I've seen some, but you're right. Oh, Sleepers? Remember Sleepers is the one about the kids in Hell's Kitchen that gets sent oh, to that. Yeah, that also has uh, Bobby Dinero in it. I was thinking about that movie. I watched this. <laughs> Yeah, um, that and um, King of the Bronx. Um, of course, uh, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, normally I don't think New York looks that cool. Usually I don't understand it. I'm like, why are there like a bunch of just brick buildings everywhere and there's the, the, there's not enough room for the cars to pass in the street? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but to San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like the city, so... The city means San Francisco. I like the Bay Area, but I don't like the city. So it makes sense. I wouldn't like the New York City either. Maybe I'll like the outlying areas, Long Island, Shaolin Land. Uh, yeah, God, but God damn, I hear John Denver in my head. Thank God you're a country. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it fucking looks dope as hell in this movie. Uh, there's so many epic shots. Like when they're at the foot of the bridge. Like right before uh, the little guy gets killed by Bugsy, <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking cool. And like, I want to go exactly to that spot. It's just I want to shoot a kid at that spot. Hell yeah, yeah. But uh, Tonino Delicoli passed away in 2005. He has 145 cinematography credits. A lot of them good, but aside from uh, Once Upon a Time in America, the most important one is Salo. That's right, the movie that everyone. Uh, talked about a few months ago because it was used a still image was used to make fun of Pete Buttigieg <laughs> <laughs> and no, no one had ever seen Salah before so they had to start talking about it it was great it's good shit that's the <laughs> internet for it I love how the internet works I remember when I, the Irishman came out I made a prediction or I said I was excited to see uh, people on Twitter who didn't realize Jimmy Hoffa existed to suddenly start talking about him. (laughs) It didn't really take off that much, so did it. No. I mean, I don't think the timing was right. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people cared too much about Hoffa. I actually feel like a lot of people probably didn't get through the movie. (laughs) I I, know you've crapped on it a couple times already, but I like The Irishman. It's not the best gangster movie of all time, but it's good. Oh, I like The Irishman. I like The Irishman for sure. I just feel like a lot of the... um, discourse around it was just uh oh it's long and it's gangsters yeah. and white men and it's like you no one none of you fucking people watch the movie <laughs> I, at the same time everyone's watching that fucking garbage joker movie 
Oh, it's gonna yeah, change the world with fucking. Uh, do you want to watch the Scorsese knockoff? Or do you want to watch the Scorsese movie? You fucking pansies. <laughs> That's right, it's Irishman, not the Joker. I'll watch the King and Comedy on my own time. <laughs> Go to the theaters and pay to watch a remake. Fucking ridiculous. A remake with a comic book character in it. You gotta be shitting me. What do you think I am, an idiot with mushroom brains? <laughs> Only if it's <laughs> Spider Man. Goddamn it. I'll watch Spider-Man in Lost in Translation. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that. Yeah, just replace the Scott Johansson part with Peter Parker. And um, <laughs> the Bill Murray Bill part Murray. will be now, um, Tony Webb. Stark. No, fuck Tony Stark. It's <laughs> Madam Web. No, it needs to be an older gentleman figure. You can, um, no, it's, a, it's an older... Oh, I guess we can make it an older gentleman figure if you want. Um, hold on. I can. What you want? Someone? Adrian Toomes from Spider-Man lore. Michael Morbius. <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> fight by Jared, Jared Leto. Leto's gonna be hanging around my set. <laughs> Hell yeah! Disgusting. Uh, no one wants Jared lurking around. <laughs> lurking, just lurking. Oh hey hey! Well, I'm gonna stay in character the entire time. Is that okay? Stop trying to suck everybody's blood, Harlow. <laughs> uh, who do you think did the music for this movie? Uh, Paul McCartney. Man, you always say it's Paul McCartney. He doesn't ever do soundtracks. Or did he? Has he done any soundtracks? <laughs> I don't honestly know, but I heard yesterday <clears throat> in this. Here's oh, my yeah, big take true. on yesterday. Yeah. Um, all the words or none of the words? What are you doing? I thought it was interesting that it would be like yesterday and then nothing else. And then it was like Troubles. <laughs> I was like, huh, wow. Now that right there, that's a good piece of art. Oh, yeah. Yesterday is one of the most uh, recognizable pieces of popular music uh, around. You you honestly don't need the words, period. More recognizable than um, blue suede shoes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, no, it was Ennio Morricone, of course. Ennio Morricone on the track. That's what he would say if he was a hip hop producer. Now that's what his little tag would be like. <laughs> Ennio Morricone is on the track. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's more accurate. Um, check this out. Although uh, Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone didn't work together until 1964, they were childhood friends and classmates. Whoa! Italy's, oh, wow! Italy's just like one small town, huh? <laughs> Italy's like just the coast of California. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. True that. Uh, the long production cycle for the film uh, meant that Morricone had finished uh, the composition of most of the soundtrack before they're done filming. So that meant they were able to play parts of the soundtrack on set while they were filming. Oh, that must have made Bobby De Niro real happy. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't concentrate. Listen, I can't concentrate. No, I bet he loved it. <laughs> oh, man. He's, oh, I hey, got it in my head. <laughs> Uh, that's they use the same technique on Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, purposefully. And Eo Morricone did the score first before they started filming. Um, so it worked, everyone seemed to be acting their balls off, having a good time. Even our good friend uh, James Woods was doing a good job, and he didn't James once concern, <laughs> didn't once mention what kind of wood people's bones are made of. <laughs> Well, here, here's my insight into James Wood as an actor. He's great at, at playing like a smug asshole or like some sort of uh, sociopath. Not mm-hmm. so great as like the cool vampire hunter. Yeah, because he's not very cool. No. He's like weird. 
<laughs> That's why <laughs> he's getting video drum too because uh, he's weird. The film's music was disqualified from Oscar contention for a technicality. The studio accidentally omitted uh, uh, the composer's name, Ennio Morricone, from the opening credits when trimming its running time for the American release. So <laughs> they also <laughs> fucked that up. Fuck. <laughs> fucked that up too. Nice. Good shit. Good shit. All right, we, we already talked about the cast a little bit. Let's go through it real quick. There's only a few important people, really. Uh, Bobby D, that's Robert De Niro. Uh, he plays Noodles. You all know him. He's the most famous Irish-American actor. Yeah, he's an Irish-American actor, whatever. He's Robert De Niro. He's on the TV. He yells about Trump or whatever. <laughs> Hasn't made a <laughs> good movie. fight him in the street or something. Right. Hasn't made a good movie in my entire life. Oh, we just talked about how you like the Irishman, so that can't possibly be oh, true. That's a good. That's a good old point. Actually, I'm sure there's plenty of movies. Um, yeah, it's been thirty. You've been alive for thirty plus years, Kyle. There's, no. there's been some good movies in there. Stardust. Yeah, I mean the Brazil was in there. Oh yeah, Brazil. Oh yeah, never mind. He's still been good. It's just been like the last fifteen or ten years. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. He just makes a lot of a lot of paycheck movies. Yeah, he just um. He's, just, he's like, hey, me and Morgan yeah. Freeman are going to be like bad grandpas or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, fucking, I don't know. I'm old. Who cares? While well, farting on TV or something, I'll get the Dunkachino. <laughs> that is Al Pacino. <laughs> Same guy, really. Uh, no, Robert De Niro is still better than Al Pacino's Yeah, I do like Robert De Niro quite a bit more than Al Pacino. <laughs> Um, the only first approached uh, De Niro about the film back in 73 when his pitch basically consisted of him enthusiastically telling De Niro the story. Hey, uh, I draw you a picture. <laughs> so De Niro was like mildly interested, but like apparently he was not familiar with Sergio Leone or his films. Again, that's like fucking Bobby De Niro to the tear. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm just studying painters and stuff like my dad. Uh, eventually the screenplay gets finished a few years later De Niro reads it and he's like you know I'm on board I think so he goes to a meeting with Leone and the producer um, in like a little private room that they set up for Robert De Niro right Sergio Leone pees on De Niro's toilet seat (laughs) and De Niro gets pissed he interprets it as a power play like a domination tactic Intimidation. Yeah, like he gets uh, he gets fucking mad. He's like, he peed on my seat, so I'd sit in my pee, or so I'd sit he's in his pee. <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to tell me who's who, who's the boss of this, and, uh, <laughs> and then the I guess the producers had to step in and calm down his fucking baby brains. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fucking, I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna piss on his seat. But <laughs> That reminds Honestly, me. Honestly, even though I went in there and I thought like someone had pissed on my the seat intentionally just to piss me off to like show their dominance, I'm like, what's fucking what a fucking baby person? And I just wipe it up with some toilet paper, lift up the seat, take a piss, and go about my goddamn business. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just I don't I don't know that I'd be intimidated by someone peeing on my toilet seat. <laughs> I'll punch him in the back of the head on the way out. Jesus. <laughs> If someone like whipped out and tried to pee on me directly, I'd be like, "Oh, this is definitely an intimidation tactic." <laughs> yeah, that's that's different. Yeah. So, also during filming, De Niro requested a private meeting with renowned crime boss Meyer Lansky to prepare for his role as David Noodles Aronson. Uh, the request was denied. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to do this movie then. Fuck it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I gotta meet Meyer, Meyer Lansky. I gotta know what it's like to do crime. <laughs> fucking bullshit. Uh, Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson turned down the role of noodles. Uh, like I said, Al Pacino, mm. close enough would have worked. Jack Nicholson doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> <laughs> he was like already like old. Like a weird one. He's like bald and crazy at that point. <laughs> uh, then we got James Woods who plays Max. He's like we said, he's constantly asking people what kind of wood their boner is made out of. A little teak, a little mahogany. <laughs> Ebony. Oak. <laughs> boner. <laughs> he's kind of even a little bit worried in this movie about erections and whether or not someone's a quote unquote sissy. Oh, what did he, did he say, sissy or pansy? Oh, was it pansy? I thought it was sissy. Damn it. I, I thought it was, was a four-hour movie. I think it was pansy because that's why I said it earlier because I had it in my head from the movie because I hadn't heard someone be called pansy in a long time. Like, not since I was called pansy in high school. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Yeah, so uh, James Woods, love him or hate him. Most people hate him. He's a weirdo. Uh, Jim Bel- John, John Belushi was originally offered the role of Max, but he died before auditions could take place. So hmm. Weird one. That would be weird. They would have had to call him Fat Max. Because as we all know, back in the day, if you were fat, it had to be part of your name. And oh, obviously. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, James Woods. Um, well, so De Niro's famous for being an intense actor, right? He lives his roles. He's method, right? Uh, James Woods said, uh, it's just a bunch of old shit. <laughs> if it's a great script and you're working with good people, what's the problem? I'm tired of the actor studio bullshit that has ruined movies for 40 years. All these guys running around pretending they're turnips are so fucking annoying. It's 4 a.m. <laughs> and you're trying to get some shots done, and they're with the coach moaning about how he can't feel this, he can't feel that. Just say the lines and get on with it. <laughs> but, uh, James Woods and Robert De Niro, uh, not actors cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I'm sure they really got along on the set. <laughs> They're best bros. You saw them. They technically they only filmed like two scenes together. Oh shit, that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> There's not very many scenes of them like actually together. Um, Elizabeth McGovern plays Deborah. She's still acting. She's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, moms probably know her from Downton Abbey. She's American, but she's on Downton Abbey. So or was on Downton Abbey. Is that show still going? Uh, no, they ended and they did a movie, and I assume they got to do another movie because that movie made a bunch of money, and old people love Downton Abbey. I thought it was like moms and stuff. I think it's like older people. I think even older gentlemen love it. Oh, I'm actually I'll, I'm gonna try to watch it. You know what? I'm gonna see what the hype's about. Maybe there's something I, there, Kyle. There might be, but here's my thing. Um, I don't particularly I don't like the British. Yeah, don't particularly like the British, especially the old timey wealthy British. And um, I don't care about their lifestyle and where they basically had slaves. But if you want to, I'm thinking about. It, I kind of want to burn the Downton to the ground. <laughs> yeah, like that's my thing. Is like, well, I don't care about these people. Um, that in mind, though, Gosford Park is a pretty good um, murder mystery involving the same sort of scenario: the upstairs and downstairs people. If you were, will so just watch the Gosford Park and not Downton Abbey. Uh, so <clears throat> the relationship Does Gosford Park have McGonagall in it though. Um, what's her name in real life? I forgot. Uh, Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. The dame. She's she's a dame, right? She's got to be a dame. She's, she's a dame. Yeah. I'm gonna give it to her. Dame Maggie Smith. I'm gonna check because I feel like she actually might be in it. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh well, shit! Oh, I'm fucking. I'll watch Gosford Park. It has Michael Gambon in it. 
Oh, well, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Michael Gambon. Yeah, Maggie Smith is in Gosford Park, so check well, it out. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel, The Great Gatsby, influenced Noodle's relationship with Deborah. Because I guess like he's not good enough. Much like Jay Gatsby wasn't good enough no. for him. Yeah. Yeah, Gatsby didn't rape anybody. Not that we know of. I don't think so. You're just kind of a shit in other ways. I, mean, I honestly don't know that he was really that terrible of a person. He just kind of was a sad person. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's just kind of like, yeah, life happened to me. <clears throat> well, he um bought into the American dream and it, it brought him nothing but sorrow, which is kind of the whole point of the the book and then for some reason Boz Lerman made a movie about it where all it did was celebrate the 20s and the American dream and shit come on Boz Lerman get it together Charleston Charleston <laughs> everyone's having fun let's have a great Gatsby party for your birthday child <laughs> yeah uh, Elizabeth McGovern personally felt there was very little to work with in the part of Deborah, and I quite agree with that oh no shit yeah she's really um it is one of those situations where it's really just like hey here's the love interest from childhood for the main character um who he treats like shit and she still loves him anyways for some reason and we're gonna take it to the next level and he's gonna rape her and she's gonna forgive him <laughs> it's uh not i don't mean to laugh i'm laughing at the absurdity of it not that that was actually a comedic event it's just like what the fuck <laughs> I don't know. It sucks. Like they could have done way more with her character. I think that is one of the biggest problems in the movie. And like, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it feels like to be, I don't know. I almost feel like you don't. She shouldn't come back after the rape scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. You gotta. I think he just has to live with that. Yeah, he he definitely shouldn't have been. She didn't outright forgive him, I guess, but like. Yeah, it would have been better if they just didn't have another interaction, and he just had or like, to. Like there was a, or you know, yeah, like, that interaction happened different. I don't know. It just didn't. Oh. It doesn't sit right. Um, Jennifer Connelly does have her first role ever in film as the young Deborah, though, so that's cool. Everyone loves Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly, ass to ass. That's what she'll be remembered for. No, she's the labyrinth and then uh, the mall girl. Shop Girl? Wasn't it Shop Girl? Shop No, Shop Girl's the weird movie. What's the one where she's the dummy that comes alive? Mannequin? Mannequin, thank you. I thought that was Kim Cattrall. Was that Kim Cattrall? What movie am I thinking too. of? I don't know. Oh, you're the one where she's locked in the store with the dude? Yes. That's she's not a mannequin in it, though. They just both happen to be locked <laughs> oh, in the I, store. I combined two movies together that I saw as a child. I think. But yeah, Jennifer Connelly is cool. I like Jennifer Connelly. I don't think it's bad that she'll be remembered for ass to ass. It's more of a joke than anything. It's just Requiem for a Dream is like fucking phenomenal performance. But it's very sad. Hmm. I don't know. Every time I feel uh, like I've heard ass to ass, it's it's never never in great context. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> it's also like one of the most harrowing scenes in that movie. So sorry to bring it up. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's performance in this film drew the attention of another Italian director. Uh, our friend Dario Argento, who of course had a he, he had worked closely with Sergio Leone on Once Upon a Time in the West, and so what he did is he cast her in her first starring role in Phenomena, which oh. we all we almost watched that this year when we were taking a tour of Italy, but maybe next year because eventually we're watching like every Dario Argento movie, no doubt about it, no doubt. 
<laughs> I don't want to spend too much time talking about it on the cast, but there is um whole bunch of other like great classic actors in it. We got Treat Williams, Tuesday Weld, Burt Young, Joe Pesci, Danny Aiello, and William Forsyth. Uh, Joe Pesci originally auditioned for Max, but Sergio Leone convinced him that he wouldn't be quite right for the role. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, as a favorite, wouldn't it be cool if his uh, De Niro and Pesci? You got his, yeah, <laughs> his two eye ties playing the Jewish boys. <laughs> um, as a favorite of Pesci's friend, Robert De Niro, Leone told Pesci that he could pick whichever the available roles he wanted, and he chose the part of Frankie, which was originally a much larger role in the script than in the movie. In the movie, he's got two like scenes. Two scenes, yeah. yeah. Um, Joe Pesci's really good at playing like... Uh, just somehow very intimidating gangster, small little gangster man at dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah, he. I was thinking that too in that the dinner scene. He's just he, uh, he's such a tiny little guy, but you're like, oh fuck, don't don't piss him off. Yeah, yeah. Even without the foreknowledge of like Goodfellas, where he plays like a straight up crazy person, it's just Joe Pesci's like same thing in Irishman. Even when he's an old man and talking to him, there's like an intensity to him where it's like, I think this guy might be dangerous. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in America premiered at the 1984 Cannes Film Festival on the 23rd of May. It received a raucous record-breaking ovation of nearly 20 minutes after the screening, reportedly heard by diners at the restaurants across the street from the palace. Um, At the time in Cannes history, Cannes history, this was before the marathon applause became a regular occurrence, so it was actually a big deal at this point, not that people just do it because they think it's fun now. We are clapping. Oh, clap. We're at a movie <laughs> together, clapping, having the, fun, Adams. Um, the best, the coolest thing to do now is oh, to fart, just oh, lay a big turd right in your street. Is to like jump up and start yelling at the director. My favorite was uh, at the premiere of Antichrist. Someone jumped up and started yelling uh, at Lars von Trier about how he's a misogynist piece of shit and the movie was offensive and blah blah blah. That person was right. Because Lars von Trier does seem to be massaging his piece of shit. <laughs> and the movie is pretty, um, I wouldn't say in offensive, confrontational is the word I would use. But uh, I don't know. I just, well, it's just how interesting to me to like be able to see a movie and like the director, the person who made it is right there. And just like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> God, if I can watch, go back and watch episode one again with George Lucas right there. For me, it'd be more like J.J. Abrams for Force Awakens. I'm like, I don't even... I- I'd be like, I don't even give What's a fuck. Point? I don't even give a fuck about Star Wars. Why do you just write the stupidest shit like these dumb little mysteries that no one cares about? You stupid piece of shit. I'm gonna kick your ass, you fucking nerd. Why do they give all you nerds power in Hollywood? You don't believe in anything. <laughs> Why don't they give nerds like me power in Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, the better kind of nerd, the one that fucks and does drugs. The fuck not, drug nerd. <laughs> yeah, not you dumb kissless virgins. JG Abrams has a couple kids, so he's had sex at least twice. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's um I talked about it before, but yeah, JJ Abrams and his ilk, I think, represent um a major negative turning point in film where uh the nerds are finally given power, but it's the nerds who are still just as misogynistic, still just as empty, but without any actual life experience or any interesting ideas. So you just end up with even worse consumer bullshit with no heart and no sincerity. How dare you? I mean the Force Awakens set up so many puzzle boxes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember all the jokes. <laughs> I, I love, mean, uh, oof. 
Yeah, well, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. No, man. It's <laughs> Joss, Whedon, Joss Whedon school of writing. You just... <laughs> yeah, but, but worse, like you, Joss Whedon at least, at least has a funny joke every once in a while. God he did damn. A, a fucking two, two decades ago when he did Buffy the Vampire <laughs> My favorite is uh, of the trailer for um, The Last Skywalker. Is that the last one? Ugh. Where the stormtroopers yes. have jetpacks and like, are they flying? They're flying. <laughs> that's fucking. Uh, that's weird. That's like the yeah, fucking because fucking jetpacks haven't existed in the universe for <laughs> you know fucking four hundred years. God damn. Well, just the way they say it too. It's like you get it. It's oh oh boy, how oh, we're having so much fun. Like we're so, having a good time adventure, huh? Nothing's yeah. fat, set, dangerous here. No stakes. Never any stakes. Cut the tension. It's just also the, the mostly lowest low effort. Like, uh, jokes. Get it? Aren't we having fun? Bullshit. <laughs> Ridiculous. It makes me like angry. I'm after like go out and like hit the heavy bag after we're done recording this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it's JJ Abrams. Uh, so initial critical response to Once Upon a Time in America was uh, mixed because of the different versions released worldwide. I'd like to addenda, make an, uh, an addendum to that. And I wouldn't say it's mixed. I would say that um, when it was released at Con and the Venice Film Festival in its um, correct form, uh, everyone fucking loved it. And then in Europe, everyone loved it. And it's only in the United States where we got the shitty cut uh, where there's any dissatisfaction with it. And mostly it's from critics who were like, why didn't you show the original cut? So the way this was phrased on um, IMDb or Wikipedia or whatever place I got some of these like, quotes from and stuff, they make it seem like it was a mixed response. But it's, it's technically it wasn't. There's a whole bunch of people who didn't get to see the actual movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, that's classic 80s cinema. Yeah. Because the 139-minute version released in North America is apparently like fucking incomprehensible. Um, <laughs> the, I, I don't know, everyone hated it. This condensed version was a critical and financial disaster, and many American critics who knew of Leone's original cut attacked the short version. Uh, some critics re- re- compared shortening the film to shortening Richard Wagner's operas, saying that works of art that are meant to be long should be given the respect they deserve. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that the way that's phrased is like a little bit. It seems a little bit haughty, right? But the reality of it is like, if this was the intention of the story and this is how the story is supposed to be told let it be told that way to like simplify it like get rid of the real the, the wagner stuff and just be like yeah this is the story let it be shown in its original version i think everyone can get on board with that no no you gotta make a wagner one for reference somewhere. <laughs> <clears throat> uh ebert our good friend wrote 1984 review that the uncut version was an epic poem of violence and greed but described the American theatrical version as a travesty. He gave the uncut version a full four stars while giving the American theatrical version one star. It's not fit for me to take a shit on. <laughs> his uh, buddy or his work partner, his work wife, uh, Gene Siskel, considered the well, uncut friends from work. <laughs> yeah. Considered the uncut version to be the best film of 1984 and the short and linear studio version to be the worst film of 1984. Wow. What a turnaround. That's like how bad the cut was, I guess. I'm not watching it, but I mean, I'll never watch the fucking cut version. Why bother? 
when uh this is a, this this be an interesting fact um especially now that we got a little christmas time coming up which means it's almost time for the the birth of uh, the the christmas angel shane mcgowan um when shane mcgowan was writing the fairy tale of new york he had never actually visited the city so he watched this movie countless times to get a feel for the New York atmosphere. <laughs> um, I was going to say the uh, there's music in this movie that reminds me of Fairy Tale in New York, the yep. folk song. Yep. So uh, the first bar of the Pogue song, Fairy Tale of New York, is um, pretty much probably a copy of Deborah's theme from this movie. Goddamn, my my ears so great. Look at yeah. the, that that trained ear I have. <laughs> Your perfect tone. Yeah, I got whatever. perfect tone ear. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Or right, I'm gonna learn to play guitar by ear again uh if you watch the fairy tale of new york music video um it does seem to have some very similar aesthetic qualities to uh, once upon a time in new york as well so that's pretty cool because once upon a time in new york is a great movie fairy tale of new york i know in like canada and england and shit that song's played out as fuck but i still really like it still love the pogues shane mcgill forever fuck you england now let's talk about the important stuff in the film Things that I noticed that I'd like to talk about. Opium dens. They seem really chill. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of any drug that uh, just go sleep. Me that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you also like hallucinate and shit, and you're real chilled out. No, 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 no. What if, uh, what if gangsters show up? I need to be on, on my toes. On my toes. So that's an interesting thing to bring up, too, because a lot of people think... Um, the future uh, that he sees beyond that point is actually just opium visions and he straight up gets murked at the opium then yeah i've heard i I thought about that too and i've heard that before i think yeah like it's him just remembering his childhood and seeing a possible future but really they come in and they're like rat-a-tat-tat rat-a-tat-tat i don't think so though but um Sergio leone said his response to it said oh that's a viable way to see the film but not that (laughs) it was absolute or anything (laughs) <laughs> he also like ad, people ask him asked him oh did um max jump in the back of the garbage truck or not and he's just like i don't know i don't know yeah that's the perfect answer yeah well, i don't know at that point you wouldn't trust him anyways you know what i mean like, even if you saw his body being ground up in the back of the garbage truck if you're noodles you're like that's a body double <laughs> <laughs> he's done it before <laughs> yeah he threw his son in there or something <laughs> Um, so you know, the beginning of the film, uh, we'll just this will basically be going through these in chronological order. It's just a few things I want to point out that, um, I thought were interesting while I was watching it while I was high, just really enjoying um, one of my favorite movies of all times, which I can solidly say now. I always knew it was up there, but watching it this last time, I was like, man, it's fucking this, this is one of those movies that just really appeals to me. So he's uh, in the opium den in the beginning and he freaks out and he starts oh we gotta get back to the opium pipe and that's i mean you get people that are like attending to you and massaging you and giving you little drinks while you're all fucked up oh that was an, i mean this whole amateur was great you know the, the yeah. music they had in the background um, yeah opium doesn't see tight i mean it sucks to just be sleepy all the time but i mean it seems like a good place to be sleepy all the time <laughs> yeah, could I go there and have a, like a coffee or something <laughs> no, you gotta be, gotta be chilling zonked out but um, then he starts to remember the phone ringing, right? And then for you can hear the phone ringing in the background in his memories for ages, right? It goes until there's the next line of dialogue, which ends up being about five and a half minutes. There'll just be a phone ringing in the background as he's remembering seeing his like friends burnt up and shit. 
Yeah, I know. It's almost as annoying as when he was stirring his coffee. I was thinking, what if that phone was ringing in the background of the whole movie? Do you think eventually you'd be able to tone it out? And then you you would forget it was there, and then you'd be like, holy shit, a fucking phone. Did anyone ever answer it? And this is where we reveal to you guys that that phone rang the entire movie. Well, it just, <laughs> suddenly, no, it, it rings until the very end when, like, um, fucking Max picks it up or whatever <laughs> as, as Senator Bailey. And you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot that phone was ringing. <laughs> Finally, someone answered it. Goddamn. Um, next little thing is I hadn't seen the movie in a while and I couldn't remember how, um, I was like, is it as violent as some of his other movies? Like, does he, is he using squibs and stuff? But then yes. that, that dude gets shot in the head and his brain starts leaking out of his hat. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, you know, they had the prop set up. So, like, the bolt wound came through the front of his hat and it was dripping all around from the inside of his hat. And I was like, that's cool. I love it when people just get domed and there's just blood. Only in movies, though. I don't like to see it in real life. <laughs> Uh, no, it's not as fun. Um, another thing, this goes back with uh, being the better version of the Irishman. Um, there's obviously uh, De Niro in old man makeup. They did not accurately predict what old De Niro would look like. <laughs> he moves way better. He looks kind of like Stallone in some scenes, honestly, with his old man makeup on. Because I'm guessing because of the maybe the prosthetics they used on his nose and his like upper lip or whatever, you know, that face part. Makes it look like he's got a bit of paralysis, like Stallone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a stroke. <clears throat> but um, yeah, that's not what old De Niro looks like. I feel like if you look at De Niro when he's young, you can see like you for sure got to give him like the massive like frown lines because he's a frowny guy, right? But they missed that. They didn't give him extreme frown lines. But if De Niro frowns all the time. He's gonna have frown lines when he's old, and he does. And then secondly. Those bags under his eyes, you know they're going to get all like sunken in an old man like, which they did, but they didn't do it in the movie. They fucked up. It's like they didn't even look at Stallone or De Niro. I can look at De Niro as a youngster and immediately be like, yep, he, like, that's him as an old man. He's going to have saggy eyes and frowny face. So they I mean, they should have consulted you, Kyle, but they didn't. So you got I, wasn't even, I wasn't even born yet, those sons of bitches. <laughs> um, the thing that got me is just how little Deborah age, which I guess is kind of the point, but you can mm. do a little bit more than make her look like she has a couple <laughs> crow's feet. Yeah, she got, she, when Maybe she's, you give her some gray hair or something. <laughs> when she smiled, she had crow's feet. <laughs> <laughs> she's supposed to be in, yeah. her, in her 60s, right? Yeah, she would probably be in her 60s, yeah. That's not a six-year-old woman. Um, she's had some work done, I'm sure. <laughs> I want to. I want to meet her plastic surgery, <laughs> especially since it was only like 1968. Yeah, he's got to be great by now. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, the thing with <laughs> the Irishman, though, yeah, I remember the um, whenever like the wide shot of uh, De Niro when he's supposed to be stomping that guy out and he's moving like quite a bit like an old man. It made no sense. It's like he, it's just it's more brutal anyways to make bring it in close. So why why even bother? Yeah, but you know it's just like how he's moving weird as an old man. Yeah. I was watching this movie even as a a young fellow. Robert De Niro doesn't move very no, well. He's not, he's not in great shape. Like he would never be an action star. It seems like he doesn't know how to use his body because <laughs> there's a part where he's um when he gets out of prison. Um, and they do the job for Joe Pesci, but they end up killing the dudes they sold the diamonds for him. Like he's got to chase the dude into the factory. 
And he's doing like that, like 60s gangster, like creep around sort of stuff, you know, like looking around corners. And like, it's just like, man, he doesn't know how to use his body at all. (laughs) So it makes sense. So now that I know that, it's like, yeah, that's probably how Stallone would always stomp on people. It's not because he's. You said you call him Stallone again. Oh, yeah, yeah, De Niro. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably how he always did it because it it wasn't because he was old, it was just because he's not um, tough. Oh, she's gonna fight you right now, just like he's gonna fight Trump in the streets. Robert De Niro, he's about five six, so I think he'll be all right. I think he's taller than that. He's five seven, five nine <laughs> when he's got his platforms in. <laughs> when he's got his big shoes on, like Al Pacino, Al Pacino in his big shoes, or uh, Robert Downey Jr. in his heels. Gotta be as tall as Captain America, which is funny because Captain America's not that tall. Also, if they ever make another Captain America movie, I'd like Captain America to be bigger. I know that like Chris Evans got in shape for it, but he just looks like a skinny guy who put on muscle. He's not like I don't know, big Chris enough. Evans is a pretty big dude, but I, I don't I mean, know. He he was like wide, but like he's he looks like he still just looks like a skinny dude who worked out for a year. I won't. They, these superheroes need to be buff as fuck. So <laughs> need- juice them up. Juice them up even more. <laughs> Twice the juice. <laughs> Bovine steroids. Exactly. Uh, Moe's Diner, even when they go back to it in the 60s, and we see that it's uh, drinks and sandwiches, drinks and sammies is what they're I offering. Really drinks and sandwiches. I was thinking, like, man, you go in there, you set yourself up with the Reuben, because this is a Jewish deli, I'm sure, right? And then you, then you just hang out there, have some drinks and some sandwiches. Maybe you got some, some meatballs or some matzah. You get some pickles, matzah ball you get soup. Pickles. Hell yeah, I'd be eating pickles all day. Uh, then we go to the flashback, and I like that um, the kid they got for uh, Robert De Niro, I guess he kind of looks Italian or whatever, but what they did is they stuck a big fat mole on him, and it's like, yeah, that's definitely De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> um, call back to um, me talking about how I don't like the city. Uh, they show the streets, um, and they're way too fucking crowded. Why? <laughs> there's so many people in the street. Yeah, nineteen oh seven New York was not great. Or nineteen nineteen aughts. I wouldn't I wouldn't have made it out of that hood. <laughs> I would I wouldn't be able to go outside and be like, there's so many fucking people out there. Uh what do you think of um the newsstand burning, the arson they commit early on? I feel like that was a very like age and um thug level appropriate crime, right? Cause yeah, I mean honestly, most even as they go get into adulthood, a lot of the crimes are just kind of like shenanigans. Well, I was thinking with the newsstand burning is like, yeah, if something goes really wrong, maybe someone will get burned to death. But most likely something not. has to go really, really. Yeah. The only way is like that the newsman refuses. He's like, I'm going down with the ship. <laughs> right. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just kind of like, yeah, like um, I'm sure in the eyes of the law, they'd be pretty upset. But it is kind of just like, ah, oh, those kids are just up to no good. <laughs> Except like for the, the, you know, maybe the money part for the, the newsman, but it sounds like he wasn't keeping his end of the deal to Bugsy anyway. So right. That was coming to Well, him. that's what I mean. It's like if I was in the same situation as those kids and like the neighborhood guy, like Bugsy, offered me, hey, you get a dollar, you go burn down the newsstand, I'd be like, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, me like I, I I'd be it. like, yeah, that seems fine. If I was a street kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. Uh huh. Um, and then uh, there's the scene, of course, where they uh, catch the uh, cop with Peggy, and uh, they get to oh, mix yeah, yeah. they get to mix sex with crime, which is an unbeatable combo. Definitely lead to some interesting pathologies, as we see later on in the film. Yeah, well, phew, no kidding. Um, <laughs> I was thinking that was an interesting turning point for the characters. Um, 
Like I legitimately do. Because he that, well, he lost his virginity basically that way. Yeah, like I was like, oh, I see, I see. <laughs> yeah, and then he was only about like aggressive sex afterwards, seemingly right. And the, the the violence and the sex and the crime all mixed together. Oh, gets you real horned up. Oh man, so good. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, yeah. Deborah loved it. Good shit. Good shit. Oh no, that was bad. That's like the most har- one of the most harrowing scenes in the film. Well, luckily, the intermission is shortly after that scene, and I did have to take an intermission. I, like went outside for like half an hour. <clears throat> uh, when Bugsy beats the shit out of him. Which is, you know, <laughs> I just for some reason it's funny to me. <laughs> just beating the shit out of little kids. I yeah, laugh at that stepbrother scene too. Like grown men beating the shit out of little kids. Like obviously, if that shit's real, it did happen, probably still happens, and it can be incredibly dangerous, right? But just in movies or whatever, it's like ridiculous, especially because in real life, one hit with the brass knuckles and that kid's fucking wrecked. You know what I mean? Yeah, brass knuckles do a lot of damage. Yeah, they do kill people real quick on accident, especially kids with brass knuckles. So it's weird that the fight goes on so long. Uh, but there is uh, the exchange at the end where Bugsy's like, "You was better off in the Bronx," and he's, "It would have been better for you too." And I was like, <laughs> Which "Damn!" It sort of ends up being true. That's a badass line, right? He's like, yeah, been I mean, as you're bleeding you on the street with your fucking teeth. No, yeah, but he's, right? he's got no regard, man. He stands up for what he believes in, or whatever. <laughs> Which is nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, no, he um, wants to make money with his bros, I guess. M- m- money. M- 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 power. Money is all he cares about. Power and money. Yeah, that's the American dream. What are you not understanding? This is once upon a time in America. <laughs> uh, so then uh, the kids bring uh, the idea for the, the, the salt bags with the floaties for the um, bringing in the booze, right? That's ingenuity for you. That is, but why wouldn't the mafia just like fuck off would steal their idea and kill the kids? Because the mafia a bunch of goombas, you know, they are they're all about salt. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to figure that shit out with the working prototype right in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, we better go into business with these kids. It's not like we can just, you know, take it from them. <laughs> I guess they figure like, hey, these kids are smart, let's keep them around, huh? <laughs> all right, these some these bright ass kids, huh? Uh, but the <clears throat> it does work out in their favor, luckily, and they become big men on town. Another cute, um, uh, inadvertently comedic, but like cute uh, or kawaii fancy suit. Yeah, the, the kids just so well dressed. Little kids just fucking wearing the dress to the nines. Oh my god! <laughs> Especially the littlest kid because he's like, still oh yeah, they're little, playing little him up kid. real cute until he gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you're like, oh, I forgot what fucking movie I'm in. Well, because even up to that point, aside from getting beat up by Bugsy, right? Again, it's, it's just like, like shenanigans. Yeah, it's like, oh, man, kids growing up in the neighborhood, having a good time. Nothing wrong could be going on here. A fucking kid gets blasted. And then he's like, noodles, I slipped. And you're like, oh, got to bite my knuckle. <sighs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, the gangster life can be very traumatic, huh? You don't all come out okay in the end. No, uh, that's true. But this is, um, we get to see Noodles does seem to care about his friends. He, he gets like that the, the angry kind of angry where you might cry. You're so angry. He stabs the shit out of Bugsy. <laughs> and a cop. And a cop. You mean he was pissed off. And also, cops tried to stop him. What do you think, cop? <laughs> this yeah, is on, you didn't you hit him harder with your billy club, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the streets. Let the streets solve the streets, all right, cop? Yeah, cop, you stabbed up. Yeah, weren't you guys paid off or uh, bribed off? 
Yeah, and also that's for sure why he went to jail for so long, right? Because otherwise, as a minor stabbing some like dude who just shot his friend, I bet he would have been fine. Oh yeah, it was a cop. Part. It's because he stabbed the cop. <laughs> I bet that cop was fine too. He had a lot of fat on that belly protecting his organs. Yeah, that knife wasn't that long. That's right. It looked big in Noodle's hands, but he is a child. It was barely a butter knife. It was the pittance. <laughs> um, then we get uh, one of the one of the cool shots of the movie where, um, well, prior to that, we had some of the cool shots of them walking the streets of New York with the really wide shots. Uh, but then also when Noodles is in the back of the paddy wagon being brought into the jail and then all his friends line up against the wall across the street. Chef mm, kiss. It's Fat Joe. Uh, what do you think of the mausoleum that Max had built for his friends? That was pretty fucking intense, huh? Yeah, uh, it is intense. If you had just money to throw around, like needless money, would you ever build something like that? I don't know. Maybe. Depends on how much needless money I have to throw around. Yeah. I was also thinking about <laughs> that scene with Deborah in the diner where he like opens up the entire resort for her in the. It's like real sweet until the end. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I just mean like it's it's like a, such an extravagant expense, but it's also sort of harmless if you think about it. Like it's not really like you're not really wasting anything. No, you're not. Well, I mean, so reopening um the diner, I guess. Like, I mean, those people had to work on their day off or whatever, but they also got paid for it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's like not he didn't do any damage to society by doing that. And that's the same thing with the mausoleum, right? It's like it's a graveyard anyways. So I mean, I guess what it comes down to though is uh he's done so much ill for society in so much so many other places. Yeah, it doesn't that kind of extravagance. It doesn't yeah. really uh doesn't really make sense. Well, yeah, I was thinking more in a perfect world where you're extremely wealthy. Um you've done everything you've done everything you possibly could for society. And you still just luckily still have some money to throw around and like, oh, I could build a nice ass mausoleum for my family. I think I'd do it. I might do it just because of the macabre nature of it. I think um, mausoleums are really interesting. Yeah, I don't care about that part of it. Oh, yeah. I, I might might build a giant cannon and have have all our bodies shot into space or something. That'd be pretty cool, too. I like the the nature of that as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a note that says, uh, if you find this, please revive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Mausoleum, interesting. Um, I was thinking, basically, uh, Max just set up... The whole movie is... Um, well, the flashback stuff is establishing the characters, but the motivation for the adult De Niro is basically a scavenger hunt that his friend set up for him. <laughs> yeah, the surprise is, <laughs> hey, it's me! Shoot me! <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Uh, they meet yeah, Max um, is a sociopath. Yeah, <laughs> they meet uh, uh, Jimmy Conway O'Donnell, who's a socialist fighting for the union. But they're like, "Hey, uh, you tired of getting fucked? Wouldn't you rather win?" He's like, "Yeah, fuck this comedy shit. Time to get paid." <laughs> 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 I mean, this is America, right? I'm sick of getting shot at. <laughs> <laughs> That's real shit. That's what happened to the unions, pretty much, right? I saw the Irishman. Um, that's real shit. Fucking um, capitalism beat communism that time. Several other times. Uh, we already talked about the interesting extra scene where he talks to the driver about being Jewish when picking up Deborah, and the driver doesn't get to say what he really wants to say, but basically, like, you're a piece of shit, man. 
and then he does be a piece of shit. It's like, ah, oh, Noodle's not a heroic character. It wasn't fanciful, young love, meaningful romance. It's just he's a piece of shit. He's a monster. He's raised by the streets. He's raised by America. America turned him into a monster. An American monster. Oh, God. Yep. And then Jenny Conway gets shot in the back of the leg, the worst place to get shot. <laughs> I like that scene a lot. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Oh, my leg. The leg. Oh, God damn. Oh, the pains. Ooh. Uh, I would have been shot in the brains. And then, um, so this, I didn't. I get it, right? Because they feel untouchable or whatever. But they, so after Jimmy gets shot, and but they like help him out and get it all settled by, you know, killing other people and shit, you know, crime stuff. They go on vacation. This seems like a pretty kind of like a precarious time to go on vacation, right? Yeah, prohibition's about to end. Yeah. Um, you just kind of sort of ended a, a union mob war. war. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that around, and that Sharky guy offered him like um, a really good business opportunity, right? Yeah, he's like, hey, you want to start a, the semi trucking industry? Yeah, because like that's what the speaking of the Irishman again, right? That was the union he represented, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent it was. Yeah, and that's the mafia was all intertwining that shit again. They fucking missed out. They're gonna rob the Federal Reserve. I'm guessing uh, Max probably actually did end up doing. Well, I think that's, that's why the, this, <laughs> yeah. this, that's the, the whole point of the semi at the end, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Wow. And then my final thought is um, <clears throat> in the 60s, when he's beginning his scavenger hunt, there's several times where there's like newspaper articles or news stories that are going on about Senator Bailey. Yeah, I was going to bring this up, too. The scandal right. he's involved in, not once is there like a headshot or anything that, uh, or him being interviewed or seen on screen. And like Robert De Niro, noodles could easily just been like, the fuck, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's my thing too. <coughs> well, it's certainly, um, media reach is not necessarily as wide in 1968 as it is now, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you don't read the newspapers, you don't really watch TV, you could miss who the secretary, what was he secretary of? He's, I don't know, Secretary don't of Labor, know. I guess, right? He's Secretary of something. Um, you, you can miss, um, you know, who that figure is, even if there's a big scandal going on. If you don't quite yeah. pay attention, people these days probably still do. Like, surely, the average person a picture of Betsy, uh, Betsy DeVos, you probably aren't going to get a response. Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, but it, it does seem a little weird to me because he seems like he does read the newspaper. <laughs> Well, he specifically knows he's looking for Bailey, right? Uh, about halfway through scavenger hunt. Right. So why he doesn't you try to figure out who the dude is? Yeah, he doesn't seem to do any research. And there's a the part where he's watching the news and they're talking about the car being blown up that belonged to Senator Bailey, Secretary Bailey. And you know what I mean? <laughs> like you'd think there would have been a picture of him or something. And he's yeah, I don't know. So the, that's like the one inconsistency in the movie yes i'm sure there's other smaller ones but that one kind of stuck out to me especially the news broadcasts where they're specifically talking about the scandal that he's wrapped up in and there's like oh and um the car blew up back to you with the weather (laughs) (laughs) and he's like oh i guess i'll never know who this bailey guy is damn hell damn fart 
<coughs> I was also thinking how convenient for Max that he has red hair so he could switch from being a Berkovitz to a Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> and there'll be no suspicion. <laughs> like, hmm, you got red hair. Makes sense to me. I'm going to become a, a more acceptable kind of white. <laughs> Just this much. <laughs> Slightly, well, by the 60s, very acceptable. We had yeah, the president, not when he so. made the switch, though, in 1930, what, three? 33, yeah, probably still no dogs, no Irish, <laughs> no dogs, no blacks, no Irish, right? In the 30s. But eventually, through crime, we did get the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> Dead. Oh man, I almost I almost said twice as a joke, but then I don't want to even give that image out. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you got back in Kennedy's day, they had organized crime scouring every Catholic graveyard for every Catholic name they could find for the the vote, right? To stack the vote, but Biden barely won this time. <laughs> should have organized crime should have been out there. Because I don't know. <laughs> they really dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, I, don't I guess know. there's not that many dead Catholics in America anymore. Yeah, most of them. I mean, there's still all the dead ones that have been there. It's not, I also I don't know how powerful organized crime is in the United States anymore, or at least what level of integration it has with the government. You know, very little would be my guess. You know, not anything as as wide ranging as it was in the '60s. That's yeah. Bobby De Niro kind of, or not Bobby, De Niro, Bobby Kennedy kind of yeah. ruined that for everybody. Yeah, and that's why they all got all the Kennedys got killed. Am I right? Huh? Tune uh, into our, further on <laughs> Tune into our other podcast about conspiracies coming soon. I fucking love Once Upon a Time in America. I could watch the movie again today, except for the rape scene for some reason. Well, obviously because it's a rape scene and it's frustrating to watch, but it is also like incredibly harrowing and heartbreaking. It makes me feel really bad to watch it because it's like her childhood friend. Ugh. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's like a lot to take in, and then that's the reality for some women out there. So, yep. Well, most women, right? Isn't most sexual offenses yeah. usually caused by someone you know? So, I guess that's something you gotta face, or something you and the universal you meaning that as men you gotta face. Uh, that's a problem, and the only way to solve it is to kill other men. I'll see you on the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> What uh what's your thoughts on Once Upon a Time in America? Oh, I hate America. it. I never want to watch it again. I That's think Sergio is probably one of the worst directors that's ever lived. You've probably already seen this movie like ten times, maybe not <laughs> full, but quite a few times. Yeah, there's some few times where I've come in it's uh, different parts when it's on TV or like uh yeah, I don't know if that I think I've only probably seen this movie all the way through. This time and maybe two other times. Yeah. That's another interesting aspect of how this movie is made, though, is you can kind of like sit down at one point and be like, Yep, I get it. I get it. I see what's going on. <laughs> I'll enjoy the rest of this story. <clears throat> um, no, it definitely is one of my favorite gangster movies of all time. I guess if we had to rank them, like I tried to make you do, it'd be mm. up there. Um, I don't know if it cracks the top 10 of my favorite movies of all time. But I think I said this last week. I was I wanted I was already planning to watch it. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really good movie. It's an entire uh, journey. And um, um, unfortunately, most of the times when I get to watch this movie on TV, they cut the rape scene. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, so you pretty, forget that part. Pretty gnarly. Pretty gnarly. Yeah, that's why normally I don't do content warnings for the stuff we watch. Because even if it's like 
sexual assaults are kind of weird. It's usually in like a cheap ass horror movie, and it's like I don't want to say comical, but you know what I mean. It's really just like oh, '80s titty weird shit, you know. But um, <clears throat> last week I told everyone, yeah, there's gonna be sexual assault in this one because the, the the there's more than one sexual assault, and the particular rape scene is like fucking really disturbing. But next week. We'll be watching an animated film, so there shouldn't be anything too sexually explicit in it. It's Ninja Scroll. <laughs> no, but it is a Ralph Bakshi movie, so there is going to be some sexual explicit content. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's going to be nipples everywhere. Uh, we're going to watch Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice. Yeah, something I believe real. that's the, the George R.R. R. Martin uh, original anime, right? That's correct, yep. Yeah. <laughs> figure we watch something real fucking simple before we get to the holiday specials that's right christmas is coming if you've done all your shopping doesn't matter you don't have to see your family anyways <laughs> you're not allowed to see your family well, i guess you're allowed to but who knows you know it's not our government's not doing anything so maybe we should all just go out there and die hmm, no i'm gonna let other people do that and, and i'll be king of the ashes king of the asses that's me oh i no. forgot Ashes and asses. By the way, this is VHS Cult. I'm Kyle, King of the Asses. I'm Sean, King of the Ashes. King of the Assholes. Yeah, and that wraps it up for VHS Cult, in fact. (laughs) Uh, We'll be Fire and Ice next week. Then it'll be Christmas time. Time to get in the Christmas spirit. Um, Try to find love on the internet since you can't go outside. Uh, We weren't on Twitch again. But we may be on Twitch again someday. We should be this week. I don't, I don't have to work as much this week as I did last week. We'll All see. right. So Friday. It all depends on how I feel. Yep, Friday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will watch a movie film at twitch.tv slash VHSCult. You can also go to VHSCult.com for our website. You can follow us on Twitter. You can tell your friends and family about us. You can email us and uh, recommend movies we can watch. We probably won't watch them, but maybe it'll happen. I don't know. You can twatter us. You can rate and review and give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and talk about us on Reddit and YouTube comments and everything you can do to help us out because soon I will die. Actually, I thought I was going to have a hard time getting through winter, but since I've been working out and shit and like... Doing like hella cardio, cardio, hitting the heavy bag and like cutting weight. Feeling fucking great. <laughs> you should have been doing cardio more often. Mm-hmm. You should have. You need that cardiovascular health. I also, do. Also, vitamin D is important. You getting sunlight? I just take vitamin D. Oh, okay. I don't go out in the sun because it's, um, I'll die. Because, you know, like, um, our mom has a lot of skin problems because she's also redhead. And has shitty milky white skin like me. So my thinking is, I just want to go outside. <laughs> I'll get all my uh, vitamins from fish like the Norwegians. Yeah, exactly. Got two t-shirts. They all look expensive. 2,000 Volkswagen, metal, and dented. All right, well, that'll about do it for VHS Colt. Um, it's been one hell of a night. Uh, it's been one week since you looked at me. Yeah. That's right. It's fucking... I'm going to listen to my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. The greatest Kanye album. (laughs) It is the greatest Kanye album. It always reminds me of wintertime. Check that shit out. Okay, bye. Bye.